0: This episode of Indie Film Weekly is brought to you by Musicbed.
1: Welcome to Indie Film Weekly, a No Film School podcast. I'm Liz Nord.
0: I'm John Fusco.
1: It's April 5th, 2018, and on this week's show, Adobe focuses on filmmakers, Silicon Valley moves in on Hollywood, a whole slew of exciting indie movie and series releases, and as always, news you can use about new tech and gear, upcoming deadlines, and Ask No Film School. (music) We're here to bring you everything you might have missed while you were busy making films. It's just old John and I here today, and that is partly because this week is the peak of a big month here at No Film School. If you've been listening, you know that we moved offices, covered South by Southwest, launched a new podcast, and this week our founder Ryan Koo's movie amateur comes out, and we head to NAB. So it's exciting, and we'll get into more of some of this stuff later in the show. But first, headlines. Our first story is like a riddle wrapped in a mystery inside an enigma. Or really, more like a rumor that led to a prediction based on a zeitgeist. Okay, Churchill references aside, there have been rumors of a big deal that would have been a big deal, that Apple was looking to buy hot indie distributor A24, home of Lady Bird and Moonlight. Though that deal has not actually come through, yet, the discussions have led to a lot of speculation about where the industry is headed. A great article in IndieWire by Jenna Murata breaks it down in a useful way. She writes... Quote, for decades, six major studios ruled film and television. As studios output continues to shrink with their parent companies increasingly disenchanted with the movie business. It's likely that the new six will be Amazon, Apple, Disney, Fox, ABC as one entity, Facebook, Google and Netflix, with Hulu also seeking a piece of the action. End quote. So let that sink in for a second. Only one of those listed is a traditional media conglomerate, and that company, Disney slash Fox slash ABC, is launching its own subscription streaming service next year for which, as we've previously reported, it's yanking all of its Marvel and Star Wars titles from Netflix. So Apple didn't buy A24, and as far as we know, it hasn't done any major acquisitions of the big film festivals, but it still has that billion dollars in original content in the pipeline with some exciting prospects that we've been hearing more about, like a series from Damien Chazelle of La La Land fame and a 10-part documentary series called Home from Citizen James' Matt Tiernauer. So for those of us making content, it's food for thought. What happens when our gatekeepers are in Silicon Valley instead of L.A. or New York? Speaking of Silicon Valley, we want to express our sympathy for the 1,100 employees of the YouTube offices in San Bruno, California, who dealt with an active shooter situation on Tuesday, CNN reports that a shooter opened fire at the building, wounding three people before killing herself. Later, it was revealed that she was a regular YouTube user who apparently was disgruntled about YouTube changing the payment structure on her videos. So these incidents happen all too often here in the U.S., but this one hits close to home. I mean, we use YouTube literally every day, and many of you, our listeners, rely on the platform for exposure and even income. So if any of you YouTube employees are listening, we are thinking about you.
0: My uh, cousin works in that building and she got evacuated. She works for Google, but she's fine. She said it was just very scary. And uh, I did not know that the shooter was a YouTube user bent on revenge for payment programs. Yikes.
1: Yeah, it's some scary stuff. The original speculation was that this was some sort of retaliation because YouTube recently pulled a bunch of uh, pro-gun videos from the site. But it turns out it was just retaliation for other policies, which is, you know, it's all pretty crazy.
0: Did you also see all of the March Madness, uh, like, brackets that were going around with A24's, uh, like, all of A24's movies? And then they weren't properly seated. I'll say that, but I did do one of those. Did you do one of those?
1: No, I saw a bunch of them. Like, there were a bunch of spinoffs, too. Yeah. People people subbing out basketball teams for movies on the uh, March Madness brackets.
0: Yeah, Netflix copied them um, after. A24 didn't actually make their bracket. Someone made their bracket, uh, made a bracket for them, and then just like it went viral. But Netflix, uh, I think they made their own bracket. And Netflix's was crazily seated. Like, it wasn't seated at all. There was like Stranger Things versus um, one of their other. I think. Maybe Orange is the New Black. Some Two of their hallmark shows went up against each other in the first round. So kind of just not well done in that sense. But I did the A24 bracket, and mine, my winner was Under the Skin.
1: Ooh, okay. An outlier. I like that.
0: Yeah. Well, they have, just have so many good movies. And I think that's really what uh, that bracket succeeded in for the most part. Like, it was fun to do the actual like competition of it but just like having all of a24 films in front of you on paper or on screen it's so amazing to see the quality of the movies that they have come out with in their short life it's just next level
1: yeah who knows maybe someday they'll be apple two four Meanwhile, speaking of A24, of course, one of their biggest breakout hits was Moonlight. And uh, it's one of the most beloved and awarded films in the past two years, along with Luca Guadagnino's Call Me By Your Name. But sadly, those films might not ever be seen by some of the world's biggest movie-going audiences. Why, you ask, John? Well, because they feature homosexuality prominently in their scripts.
0: Oh.
1: I know. You were on the edge of your seat. So Call Me By Your Name was set to screen in a section at the Beijing Film Festival that highlights festival favorites from the past year. And now, just a couple weeks before the festival's opening, the film has been pulled from the lineup. So this festival is government run like pretty much every other cultural event in China. And though homosexuality is not illegal in the country, the Hollywood Reporter posted that Beijing's official stance toward depictions of homosexuality in the media is repressive and that gay-themed content has been officially banned from television in the country for years, and a controversial set of guidelines introduced last year barred gay stories from streaming services. Meanwhile, over in one of China's neighbors, Singapore, where homosexual acts are illegal, the new film Love, Simon has been given a rating of R21, meaning it's restricted from viewing for anyone under 21, and as a result, it's not even screening in most cinemas in the country. Now, here in the U.S., that same movie's rated PG-13, It is about a teenager coming out as homosexual, but it does not feature any full frontal nudity, violence or sex. So Singapore-based activist Tasha Monique Dharmendra has started a Change.org petition to lower the rating of the film to NC-16. And that petition's received almost 15,000 signatures by Wednesday afternoon. And it's still active if you're interested in signing.
0: And in a new study from Filmmaker IQ, it was found that over the past 61 years of the Academy Awards handing out prizes to short filmmakers, the median runtime is a surprisingly long 23.16 minutes. And this might be surprising because we often hear industry people say that a short film sweet spot is in the 9 to 12 minute range. But I did notice that all of the Academy Award nominees this year were over 20 minutes, uh, and I paid special attention to that because I was dealing with my own cut of my movie. I have to say, I don't necessarily disagree with those who claim that a shorter-length film will give you an edge at festivals, and even online for a number of reasons. Of course, programmers have to fit as many shorts into their block as possible, so if you have a shorter film, you're more likely to be included in one of those blocks at festivals, and this is because programmers would rather have 8 10-minute shorts in their block than 4 20-minute shorts. It just makes sense, and it's a good thing, because it gives more filmmakers a chance for their voice to be heard on the festival stage. In an interview I did with Vimeo back at South by Southwest, their head curator or programmer, because it's really what he is at this point, revealed that the average runtime for their staff picks are only around seven minutes. So if you plan on garnering attention through the internet, you have to be especially aware of the fact that surfers have little to no attention span, and many don't have the patience to sit through a 20-minute short. That being said, according to this study, the Academy has never awarded a short under eight minutes in length. The Academy, however, doesn't really have to abide by the same stipulations that festivals have since they're not necessarily programming shorts. They're just looking for films that match their agenda or their tastes. So if you really wanted to tell your story in 40 minutes, which is the max time allowed for the nomination, you could, but why wouldn't you just make a feature at that point? A lot of festivals are wary of the runtime, uh, believing that some filmmakers will actually make a longer a short just to avoid the more fierce competition in the feature length categories. Uh, I heard that at a panel that I went to at South by Southwest with programmers from Sundance, uh, programmers from Vimeo again. So, if anything, this study just reveals that there is no catch all for the runtime of a successful short, but. Much like the choice of a camera or a lens, the runtime all depends on what is best or necessary to tell your story. So if you have a story that's going to take that long to tell and it really needs it, then by all means do it. But I have to say, like, even from editing my own short, the tighter you can make it, the more effective it becomes. So I'd be wary of this study (laughs) if I and I guess that's my editorial (laughs) for the day.
1: Well, we, we get questions about this an awful lot, I feel like. What's the right length for my shore? What do I do with my shore? And that kind of thing. We have lots of stuff on the site about it. But I'm glad that uh, Filmmaker IQ did this analysis, just so we kind of have some sense.
0: Yeah, and I'm going to be coming out with a few podcasts soon, actually. Um, one with the programmer of South by Southwest, Claudette Godfrey. And we get into the runtime a little bit. Uh, and the other with uh, the Vimeo curator, Daniels and Kirsten Lapore um, talking about what it takes to get a staff pick, and we also kind of go into the benefits of releasing your short online versus the benefits of releasing it at a festival, and what the runtime, how the runtime plays into that as well.
1: Now, are those podcast episodes also going to be short?
0: No, they're pretty. I mean, they're pretty good, pretty good size. They're like forty plus minutes, um, which is great because. You know, having the Daniels on the show for 40 minutes was a really exciting opportunity. Usually you don't get to sit down with uh, people that long at festivals, and we got a chance to. So thanks to Vimeo for that.
1: How fun. So moving on to tech and gear news. Now, we used to call this section gear news. But we realize that we cover a lot of tech for posts and apps and all kinds of things, too. So now it's tech and gear.
0: Couldn't tech just be considered gear? Couldn't we just call it tech news?
1: We could, and that has been suggested to us. But I feel like tech implies, like, software and hardware, and gear implies, like, lights and stuff.
0: But hardware is gear, isn't it?
1: I mean, we could go on. Feel free to write in, write uh feel free to tweet at us readers and let us know your thoughts on tech versus gear or tech and gear.
0: Tech and gear or tech or gear.
1: Or gear and tech. Meanwhile, <laughs> we will be talking a lot and thinking lots this next couple of weeks about tech and gear or gear and tech or gear or tech because NAB is opening this weekend. If you don't know, it's America's biggest broadcast industry trade show, and we're going to actually be there on the ground, while John is, with a big team, uh, bringing you all the latest innovations. So, of course, that means that some big announcements are already starting to trickle in, and there's an annual one we've come to expect, which is an update to Adobe's Creative Cloud. But this year, it's pretty filmmaker-focused.
0: Yeah, and I just want to say, before I get into that Creative Cloud thing, a few weeks ago, Eric and I did the podcast alone, and I... (laughs) mistakenly referred to, uh, I said something like, yeah, we'll be at NAB in a couple of weeks and like doing all that garbage. And I didn't mean that in a uh, negative way. I just meant that like as an adjective or a noun. I don't really know. It just, that was the thing that came to my head. I meant content. <laughs> our, <laughs> our content won't be garbage and none of the stuff at NAB is garbage. It's pretty much the exact opposite. It's You're so pretty impressive. You're But uh, yeah, so I just wanted to correct myself this week
1: yeah well so tell us about adobe's latest garbage john (laughs)
0: well there's a whole bunch of garbage uh to talk about in that area see it just makes sense that's what i mean that's what i mean by garbage anyways there's a whole host of updates and we'll start with premiere um which is chock full of new features that include new color matching options improved audio tools and a totally overhauled essential graphics panel The timecode panel has also been updated along with new controls for editors working on VR, streamlined collaboration with team projects, and support for additional formats. You can even copy and paste markers now, which is very handy. Super cool, yeah. Updates for After Effects focus on better organization and more efficient workflows. The new Master Properties feature revolutionizes how post-professionals will work with compositions and versioning. Data-loving designers can now quickly import JSON and CSV files and dynamically animate them. Other big updates include advancements to the popular Puppet tool, an enhanced disk cache management system, and a new shortcut for cycling through mask mode. So if you know what any of that stuff is, you'll be happy.
1: I'm intrigued by the Puppet tool.
0: I think I've seen a demo of that Puppet tool. in one of our NAB videos, actually. So finally, video editors working with the latest version of Adobe Audition, which is what I use to edit these podcasts, will find an entirely new way to work with sequences for Premiere Pro, which I don't do, as well as a shiny new tracks panel. A new clip spotting feature updates video previews in real time for a frame accurate editing experience with video.
1: I should also mention that our resident creative cloud expert Jason Boone has done not one, not two, but three tutorials going up on the site this week about how to use some of the new video features, color match, auto ducking, and master properties, so look out for those on the site this week.
0: And also some gear news for this week is that Panasonic announced the EVA 2.0 with an Atmos supported raw output. Now It's important to note that they are not announcing a new camera, it's just new firmware. So, for a little background, we were exceptionally excited when Panasonic announced the EVA1 at Cinegear last year, and the camera lived up to our expectations when we got our hands on it last January. Charles describes it as a fiercely competitive entry from Panasonic in the indie cinema space, with beautiful imagery at both the 800 and 2500 native ISO settings. A solid ergonomic build and beautiful AVC intra-internal footage on affordable SD cards. However, upon the camera's release, external RAW recording was promised and is only now arriving with this firmware upgrade. Panasonic is promoting this as the EVA 2.0. Now, back to Charles' language... This is a big deal because RAW files are too big to fit into the internal SD cards used by the platform, and so what's required is the use of an external recorder connected over 6G-SDI for RAW recording into the CDNG RAW format. So far, Atomos has been the first company to announce its support for this type of file, with the feature available in both the shogun inferno and sumo units but with nab coming up next week i'm sure we'll see more companies release compatible recorders as well
1: and we have some good news for all you drone ops out there or at least those of you who are faa certified the stock footage site pond5 has hooked up with drone manufacturers dji for a special program that will highlight and license the best work from drone filmmakers they're accepting applications for the program now and to be eligible you must have and provide proof of your FAA Part 107 certification, as well as a reel of your aerial content and a list of the DJI drones you own and use. So if you're selected, you'll have access to Pond5's premium clipping and tagging services, which is pretty awesome because it allows you to just upload raw footage, and they do all the formatting and keywording for you to put your offerings in the best light. There's potentially some decent money in this for you, so we'll link to the post with all the info to apply in this week's podcast post.
0: Just like scouting, filming, and editing, having great music should be an asset to your film, not a roadblock. Musicbed is dedicated to making that a reality. That's why they've completely rebuilt their platform of over 650 world-class artists and composers with brand new features, workflows, and checkout process. Want to exclude holiday songs from your search in July? Go for it. Need a folk song that has guitar but no banjos at 120 beats per minute? Oddly specific, but no problem. With advanced search filters like include slash exclude, beats per minute key song build and more finding the perfect song has never been easier or faster get 20 percent off your next on-site license with coupon code indiefilmweekly20 learn more at musicbed.com new that's indiefilmweekly all one word with a capital i a capital f and a capital w followed by the number 20
1: and this week in ask no film school Christopher Tawney wrote on the boards to ask whether he should use multiple nested timelines or one timeline for a 40-minute short film when editing in Premiere Pro. He writes, Previously, I've always edited entire projects on one Premiere Pro timeline, but as I looked around, I saw a lot of people were discussing creating a sequence for each scene or three sequences that were then nested inside a master timeline. It would be awesome to hear any thoughts on why multiple timelines would be preferable. For some help on this one, I reached out to Josh Granger, who's been editing professionally for over a decade and is also a director and producer at Hitman Productions, whose film Wood* is on iTunes now and To Kid or Not To Kid will be out later this year. So, Josh, what do you have to say to Chris?
2: Uh, you know, it's uh, an interesting question, and I thought about it quite a bit. I mean, I think there's a lot of good reasons to work on scenes and pieces of a longer piece separately in their own sequences, I think it could be easier to handle, especially if you have to make space to move everything farther down the timeline. There's less to worry about. And on a personal side, I, I like a lot sort of, you know, hitting the keyboard shortcuts to see the entire sequence that I'm working with, to just sort of see the rhythms visually and that can be very helpful with uh individual scenes to, to do things like that. And then when putting it all together, um, you know, I understand why some people might like to work with dropping the timelines into a larger timeline. Um, but for myself, that there's a problem for me because then when I'm watching the entire piece, and I know he asked about a 40-minute piece, when I'm watching the entire piece down, no matter how well I've kind of done at pacing out the individual scenes or the individual sections, watching the whole thing, the pacing is going to be different. And I know I'm going to want to change things. And it's very hard if you have three, you know, individually grouped timelines in your main timeline to go in and change individual pieces. So for myself, I would work separately and then do a select all in each one, copy and paste all of my acts or pieces into a larger timeline that way. Then when I'm looking at the whole thing, I can watch it through. I can tweak things for pacing as needed. If audio needs to change, I can modify individual little pieces uh, so, yeah, I mean, that's I think that's how I would do it myself as opposed to dropping the timelines into a timeline.
1: Ah, so your answer is sort of a hybrid answer. You work on sections separately, but ultimately they end up in one timeline.
2: Yes, exactly, yeah. Um, I, I think there's, I, I mean, and that's a, that's sort of a, a personal choice or a, an editor's choice, you know, as to whether that's, that's the way they want to work. But I think also, you know, because if you have a 40-minute piece, it's going to be built in, broken down into scenes or acts of some sort, and the, and so each act or scene is going to have its own arc. So it can be helpful to have that in its own sequence, so that you can really get a feeling of the individual arcs. It's just then when you go to build a bigger thing, you want to then feel the arc of the entire piece, and so that's you know that's when I would want to look at the whole
0: thing. And there you go. That's a 40-minute short film right there. They're rare, but they exist. And now moving on to some movies opening this week. On Amazon Prime Instant, you can catch Personal Space, which is now available. This is a new sci-fi series that separates itself from the rest of the pack because it was shot for a minuscule budget. In order to work within their constraints, creators Dana-Lurie Shaw, Zach Walno, and Tom R. Pike focused on keeping the script locked entirely to one location. Quote, making one set look really good is doable, Pike told our reporter Oakley Anderson-Moore. With the limit of filming in one room, he got an idea from the preposterous real-life Mars One campaign, which stated it would raise the funds for an actual mission to Mars by way of reality TV show taped during the trip. The story for his one-room sci-fi? Astronauts on a Deep Space Mission, played by the late Richard Hatch and Nikki Klein of Battlestar Galactica fame, have their therapy sessions unknowingly broadcast as reality TV. You can read the entire interview, how to create sci-fi on a budget by working within your constraints on No Film School today.
1: And as I mentioned at the top of the show, tomorrow is the big day for all of us here at No Film School, but mostly for our founder, Ryan Koo, whose seven-plus-year journey to making his first feature film will finally be complete when that film, Amateur, hits Netflix on Friday. Hopefully you've been listening to our new podcast series, The First Feature, over the past couple weeks, because in it, Ryan literally breaks down every step it took in order for him to make Amateur, which in effect renders any background information we give here pretty useless. You should just listen to the show. As John mentioned, he and Ryan did an episode earlier this week, and uh, it's really good. I will tell you, just basically, in his film, a teenager is recruited to a college basketball team and has to deal with the adversity and attention which comes with his decision to play for them. It stars Michael Rainey Jr., Josh Charles, and Sharon Leal. And once again, this is a film that was written and directed by the one and only Ryan Coo. By the way, if you're in New York, you can come see it with us on the big screen at a special preview on Thursday night at 8 at the SVA Theater. It's open to the public, but just get there early as it's first come, first seated.
0: And that's tonight. For everyone who's in New York City, that's this Thursday tonight.
1: Tonight, we can't wait to see you and it.
0: And on April 6th, also coming to Netflix is a movie called Six Balloons, and this is another Netflix original film to look out for. I got a chance to catch the premiere a few weeks ago at South by Southwest, and was largely drawn to check it out because of its strong pair of comedic leads, Abby Jacobson and Dave Franco. Be warned, however, that this is no comedy. The film, which was written and directed by Marja Lewis Ryan, is based off the true life story of a sister who must take care of her brother after she learns that he's relapsed on heroin. Franco and Jacobson play the siblings very convincingly, however, and the result is a pretty solid drama. Sounds dark. It is dark.
1: While we're talking about South by Southwest movies, this year at the South by Southwest Filmmaker Party, we met a really nice director named Luke Coram, whose film Delt won the Audience Award at last year's South by Southwest. Now, next Friday the 13th, that film is coming to Hulu, although it is not a horror movie. It's actually a crowd-pleasing documentary about one of the world's greatest card magicians, who also happens to be completely blind. So Luke is writing a guest post for us about the making of Delt, and you can look out for that and the movie next week. Also, the film's already available on demand in many areas, so check your local listings.
0: And coming to theaters on April 6th is A Quiet Place. This is another film that premiered at South by Southwest and that's opening on Friday. I saw a few trailers before the premiere, and I was shocked at just how incredible the response was at Austin. It looks like just another generic Hollywood horror movie to me, but it appears that it's anything but. It's currently sitting at a 100% fresh rating on Rotten Tomatoes, and the plot follows a family that is forced to live in silence while hiding from creatures that hunt by sound. It stars real-life couple John Krasinski and Emily Blunt.
1: Adorable real-life couple John Krasinski and Emily Blunt.
0: But maybe the most shocking part of the whole business is that John Krasinski also directed the picture. It's a project that seems like an awfully long stretch from his first feature, The Haulers, which was a drama comedy. But apparently it seems like he excels at directing for genre. In any case, I'm convinced and uh, I'm excited to see what all the fuss is about for myself.
1: Cool. So we have some grant and opportunity deadlines for you. The first one is the Kickstarter creator in residence program with a deadline of April 16th. Last year, Kickstarter launched its Creators in Residence program at its Brooklyn headquarters. Each resident is paired with a staff mentor who specializes in the creator's area of interest and offers guidance on how to manage a Kickstarter or Drip campaign. And as a resident, you have access to a dedicated workspace, fulfillment station, theater, recording studio, library, meeting rooms, kitchen. And you have the opportunity to be featured in Kickstarter-produced editorial content, as well as being invited to attend regular workshops etc. So the residency starts here in Brooklyn in May and runs through the end of July.
0: And the Academy Nickel Fellowships in Screenwriting have their deadline on April 10th. This is definitely one of the most prestigious screenwriting grants out there. The Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences hosts an international screenwriting competition established to identify new talent in screenwriting. Each year, the Academy Nickel Screenwriting Competition awards up to five $35,000 fellowships to amateur screenwriters. To enter, submit a feature-length screenplay and entry fee via the online application when the competition is open for submissions, which it is. And fellowship winners are invited to participate in awards week ceremonies and seminars, but also expected to complete at least one original feature film screenplay during their fellowship year. And now moving on to festival deadlines, the Holly Shorts Film Festival has their deadline on April 6th. This is a festival that takes place in Los Angeles, California from August 9th to the 18th. This short film festival is one of the highest rated festivals on film freeway. It's an Academy Award qualifying festival, and it awards prizes from sponsors Panavision, Final Draft, Lightspeed, EPS, True Vision Entertainment, and many others. Awards go to films in over 20 categories. And the Chicago International Film Festival has a deadline on April 9th. This takes place in Chicago from October 11th to the 25th. This is the early bird deadline. It's one of the longest-running film festivals in the United States at 54 years. It is also an Academy Award-qualifying festival. The winners of the Best Live Action and Best Documentary Short awards are eligible. Every year, they hold a new director's competition with a selection of first and second feature films, which is pretty cool.
1: And now for weekly words of wisdom. When we were talking earlier about working within budget constraints with the series Personal Space, I was reminded of this past Monday's interview podcast called First Match, Money-Saving Production Hacks to Make Low-Budget Features Shine. So the team behind the Netflix original feature First Match gave a lot of tips on this front, and one that made a lot of sense to me was about using the hell out of your locations. So every company move obviously costs time and money, so if your script has several locations, how can you use one spot in several different ways? For example, first match is about a high school wrestling team, and they have matches in a bunch of different schools. So instead of shooting in a different school for each match, the team shot in only two schools, but they dressed the sets differently enough with different school colors and mascots, for example, that they passed as distinct locations. They also asked at each school to show them every possible location that was available for shooting even if the school thought that those spots might not be useful. So they ended up, for example, using one of the school's basement boiler rooms for a really important scene, and you never would have known it was taking place in a school. Smart stuff. And finally, wrapping up, as mentioned, we're heading to NAB this weekend, and next week's show is going to be a special NAB episode where it's totally dedicated to the latest in gear and tech and tech and gear and gear tech. Um, but aside from NAB, a couple film festivals close to our hearts kick off this weekend. The Full Frame Documentary Film Festival starts on Thursday night in Durham, North Carolina, home of our own Ryan Coo. And the San Francisco International Film Festival opens tonight with A Kid Like Jake by Silas Howard, who's known for directing popular TV shows, Transparent and This Is Us. So good luck to everyone running those two great festivals and to the filmmakers showing there. Definitely check them out if you're in North Carolina or the Bay Area.
0: And next Monday's podcast is, I guess, pretty appropriate considering some of the stuff we've talked about in this podcast. Uh, it's going to be with the directors and producer of the film Prospect, which won the uh, Adam C. Horn... It's Adam Yawks. Hornblower Award. Yeah, but what, is it just the Hornblower Award, or do they have his whole name? I forget what Adam... Y- so Adam Yock had this, who's MCA from the Beastie Boys, he had this alternative... Persona. Like another pseudonym. Yeah. So it, it who would direct the Beastie Boys videos early on? Um, anyways, they named this award, which is the award for the best film in the Visionary Program, after MCA's alternate persona, Mr. Um, Hornblower. And these directors, uh, from Prospect are the ones who won it. And they're really cool dudes. And we talk about, um, what it takes to actually make a good, low-budget science fiction movie, which is something we brushed upon with Personal Space. But this movie is just really, really incredibly done. Their story is um, very inspiring. What they did was they actually rented out a warehouse for eight months and hired a bunch of people who had no experience within the film industry at all. Artists, uh, bike makers, graphic designers, people who really could help create the aesthetic that they were looking for in making all their practical sets and effects and it's cool because you just don't really hear about stuff being made like this that much anymore this is some like early Lucasfilm type of shit where they just all got together and it was almost like an artist commune so really cool stuff uh listen to that podcast on monday
1: that sounds like not garbage and, John, I really want to wish you good luck, and uh, you and the team good luck at NAB this weekend. And uh, for all you out there, thank you so much for listening. You can read about everything from this show and more uh, at NoFilmSchool.com. We will put all the links to your opportunities and articles, et cetera, in the podcast post. And uh, thank you so much in advance for subscribing to us in iTunes and rating us there or the podcast app of your choice. Meanwhile, feel free to stay in touch as long as you are kind. I'm at LizFilm on Twitter.
0: I'm at Jim underscore John underscore Jim.
1: I'm going to be kind and not do that thing.
0: Thank you. It's been a long week.
1: <laughs> We're all at No Film School. See ya in a couple weeks. Ciao.